0: Welcome to the SBC History Podcast, the podcast about the people, places, and events of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm really excited today for our special guest, Mark Clifton. He's here to join us to talk to us about the history uh, of revitalization and replanting and how that can affect pastors and what they do. I'm so glad you're here today, Mark. First, why don't you just give me an introduction about yourself and and what you do and and uh, how long have you been doing it, all all that?
1: Yeah, I'm Mark Lipton, and I'm the Senior Director of Replant at the North America Mission Board. Been doing that for about five years since it was started. Uh, prior to that, I was a pastor who replanted the Dying Church for 10 years in Kansas City. And prior to that, I was a church planter for 20 years across North America for the whole mission board. So that's sort of my encapsulated life, mainly church planting and then pasturing, and now replanting uh, and revitalization for the North American Mission Wood. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. And oh, Excuse me. Sorry. I don't <laughs> live in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm like the president there. I live in Kansas. I live in Kansas City, but I'm on the Kansas side. So uh, I've never said that before. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I live over on the Kansas side.
0: So when we think about... Uh history and church plants, those things don't really go together, but did you, you know, starting new things, have you found as you've moved to replanting that history has played a bigger role in what you've been doing?
1: Or... Oh, man, I'll give you a story you'll love. So when I went to, came to Kansas City to be the Associate Director of Missions, um, there was a church that was really struggling, and um, it's called Warnell Road Baptist Church, W-O-R-N-A-L-L. Road Baptist Church, and um, I love history. Well, John Warnell was a a very prominent Southern Baptist layman in Kansas City. You know, during the Civil War, and his uh, his house, the Warnell House, which is on Warnell Road, uh, is still a a museum now. But it was uh, used as a hospital by both Confederate Union Troops, the Battle of Westport.
0: Wow.
1: Anyway, um, down the street from his house is the Warner Road Baptist Church. It's been there since 1921. Um, anyway, when I went to be the Associate Director of missions, Warnell Road Baptist Church was down to about 18 elderly people and a uh, beautiful sanctuary that seated 600. But anyway, I went to visit with them, and long story short, uh, I, I decided that God called me there, and I became their pastor, and I stayed there 10 years. We replanted it, but here's the history part. You probably know, um, you've heard the name Elijah McCoy. Uh, He was a one of the first Baptist missionaries to uh, Native Americans, and uh, he predated the Southern Baptist Convention. But he was also one of the original um, signers of the papers, whatever you call it. You'll know more about than I do. But he was at the convention that formed the Southern Baptist Convention, and he was actually one of the signers, one of the delegates, whatever it was, to form the SBC. He had a son named John Calvin McCoy. He had a lot of children, but he had John Calvin McCoy. And John Calvin McCoy was, uh, among other things, he he did uh, surveying and things, and he laid out Kansas City, Westport, which became Kansas City, uh, as a surveyor. So John Calvin McCoy, there's a statue of John Calvin in Kansas City. Uh, He was one of the founders of the city. Uh, Elijah McCoy's son. Right. So the property that Warnell Road Baptist Church sits on was originally owned by John Calvin McCoy. Okay. And then he sold it to John Warnell. And uh, so it has strong Baptist ties, to say the least. The whole area there does. And uh, John Warnell, uh, late in his life, his wife died, and he married again a, a lady like they did back in those days, much younger than him. Right, and so in 1921, John Warnell's widow—you know—she was one of the first ones to to give the land and and uh, be a founding member of Warner Road Baptist Church. So when I got to go there, because I'm a history geek, it was like, this is so cool. I'm actually pastoring a church that the you know the founding member was the wife of John Warnell, who got the land from a from uh, John Calvin McCoy. Uh, who is Elijah McCoy's son. So there's a lot of history. that Nobody else cared about that but me, but I thought that was a cool lineage. So anyway, there you go.
0: So why does, uh, when a pastor comes to a new church, it needs revitalization and replanting. Why should he
1: care about that church's history? Well, we have 13 characteristics we see God use in the life of a replanter. And one of those is an appreciation for the church's history. So I just love history. I was a history major in college. History is my hobby, and so I knew who Elijah McCoy was, and I knew who John Warnell was. I was just blown away when I realized that John Warnell's widow, she was in her seventies at the time, was actually a founding member of the church I was a pastor of, yeah. and um, and it, and her stuff was all over the place. And, her, and I got to know her, her grandson very very well, and he was a member of the church. And um, I mean, I just I just love that stuff. And so what it does it gives us a sense of perspective that, uh, you know, God has been at work in this place since its founding. And, you know, we rely on him and look to him. Uh, he'll, he'll keep it alive and he'll, he'll do what needs to be done there. It's not a, you know, it's not as though everybody that came before us didn't know what they were doing or, you know, messed up. Uh, it, it really is that, you know, God, this is the place that God has been, been active in. And it's just like, well, let me just, cut to the chase all right all right there's only one place in the scripture that the death of a church is spoken of and that's in the book of revelation where the uh, risen lord tells john uh i will remove the lampstand and when he talks to about the church at ephesus the first church there in the book of revelation mm-hmm. he tells them the first thing he tells them to do are you ready for this he mm-hmm. tells them all the stuff they've done that they should that they're doing well you know i right. i know your toil you're long-suffering your long suffering you do not bear false doctrine. Uh, You you toil long for my name's sake, you endure for my name's sake. But he says, this one thing I have against you, he says, remember how far you've fallen. So church revitalization begins with remembering and looking back and seeing why were we started in the first place and how have we gotten away from that. And then the second thing he says, repent and return to those things you did at first. So that kind of sums up why history is important in, in church revitalization. Uh, why were we started in the first place? Where are those places that God worked in our lives, uh, in the in the life of the church? And where are those places that we, we didn't follow him, we went our own way, uh, we were disobedient, and we need to repent from that? So when you go to revitalize, you can't just act like the past doesn't matter. It does matter. You know, it matters to help you see where God was at work and return to that, and it matters to help you see where you were doing something you shouldn't have and repent from that. Okay?
0: Right. So where can you, sometimes you have a founding member like you did, if it's a church that's not very old, but, but if it's an older church, where can you find good information about the real history of a church?
1: Most of it. Well, it just depends, obviously. You know, some churches kept really good monthly yeah. business meeting records. I think the only good thing about monthly business meetings was the records they kept. Right. <laughs> They tended to be divisive and contentious yeah. sometimes, but they do get you get good monthly records. So, you know, Warnell had really good monthly business meeting records. But the other thing is just oral history and talking and getting stories from people yeah. and that kind of thing. And then frankly, I would search I searched news articles and stuff. When I went to warnell I found out in nineteen fifties Warnell was a very prominent church in Kansas City in the 1950s, very, very prominent. And when I went there, I started searching, Google searching news articles and everything I could find about Warner Road. I found out that Life Magazine had done a a spread on Warner Road in the 1950s and it's pastor. And it was just, it was just a spread on the life of a pastor. It wasn't particularly because it was Warner Road in Kansas City. It was kind of a prominent church. And uh, yeah, I got great pictures from that article and great information. It was like wow my our church was in and you know, Life magazine in the nineteen fifties, man, that was like Yeah, you know, that was that was a big deal. That was a huge deal. That was really before T V came, you know, fully bore. So that was kinda cool. So I saw that. And then any place you see your church in the news or any news articles and anything like that, um, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll I'll Google or I'll do a Google search or whatever, or Nexus search for Warren Road Baptist Church, and somebody's obituary will come up, right? Right maybe somebody's obituary from, you know, living in California, but Mm -hmm. I find out they were originally a member of Warren Road Baptist Church. Um, Wasn't through his obituary, but uh, I found through some other searches like that, that um, former vice president of the International Mission Board, uh, uh, Camadiner, grew up at Warren Road, and he was an RA there. And so uh, he was retired at the time, but I, I called him one day and, we talked about Warner Road, and uh, when he was in Kansas City one time, he stopped by and spoke to our church, talked about how important they were in his life. Well, I mean, here this church was about dead, and here right. was the vice president of the North Amer- of the International Mission Board, uh, the senior vice president of the Inter- mm-hmm. International Mission Board, who, would, who grew up there as a royal ambassador. So that's kind of cool. So there's all, all kinds of stuff like that. And then also, since we live in uh, Kansas City, Right. I grew up in Independence, Missouri, which is the hometown of, of Harry Truman, and uh, so I was interested to see. I knew Truman was a Southern Baptist; he was a member all of his life at uh, First Baptist Church of Grandview. Uh, he didn't really go, but he wasn't. That's where his membership right. was in his entire life, Grandview, Missouri. But you know, I knew that Warnell was a very prominent um, Baptist church during Harry Truman's presidency. And so I, I figured that there um, might be some connection. I had no idea the strong connection there was. Harry Truman's personal physician was Wallace Graham, and he was also best Truman's personal physician. And he, he was a literally a lifelong member of Warner Road um, and very active and very involved. And so I, I did some research on him at the Truman Library. And I got some great information about his life and about he he grew up where he grew up in in rural Kansas and moved to Kansas City. And his parents looked for a church and they wanted a church that, you know, preached the Bible. And Warner Road was that church and he had really strong Christian commitments. And uh, anyway, he was a hero at Normandy. He was one of the first doctors on the beach at Normandy. He eventually became the chief surgeon at Walter Reed Army Hospital. And then he became the, you know, the personal physician to the president of the United States. So all these pictures of him in his general uniform with, you know, Truman when he was president. And I had his, like, personal testimony, sort of, from the Truman Library, Wallace Graham's about his commitment to Christ and the importance of the church in Warner Road. Well, this is a church, dude, that's dead, right? There's 18 people left. The community's ignored it. So I had some pictures made of of Wallace uh, that blew up of Wallace, Dr. I'm sorry, of, of Harry Truman and his doctor um, I had some pictures blown up and I had some uh, like some and, and printed the copy on the side of, of his testimony and that kind of thing and his relationship with the Trumans, uh, Wallace Graham. And I just, you know, I framed him and put him up in the church and, you know, we talked about it and the visitors come, they would see, you know, hey, that's, that's pretty cool you know, this church was doing something really impactful back in those days. It had a huge impact on the life of a man that was, you know, very impactful in our country. So those are the ways that, you know, not every church is going to have that, obviously. Right. I, you know, I, I kind of hit them, you know, having Elijah McCoy's son own the building first or own the property and, and the John Warnell family. And then, you know, uh, Wallace Graham being the, the doctor to the president and stuff. That's not going to happen very often. I, I get you, but it was, You know, there's certain stories in your church's background that are probably connected somewhat to your community, and there are probably people who went to your church at some point that uh, either pastored somewhere else or became a missionary somewhere else, and those are the stories you'd want to hang on to and share.
0: Yeah, I think a great place to look is always uh, your state Baptist newspaper. You yeah. uh, have archives and records. If you have a local newspaper, even in a rural community, if you used to have a newspaper, there's a, usually in a rural communities, a historical society or somebody like that. And and those people will love to talk about everything they know about the past. And,
1: yeah. And then look in your church's cemetery. You've got a cemetery too. There are all kinds of, and now with all the cemetery kind of uh, genealogy websites and things, you can, you can find a lot about the people who are buried in your cemeteries. And there may be some folks there that had some unique Baptist or missionary or church history or something like that.
0: Well, and I'm all for reading the minutes. I've had several instances where church people told me the way something went down, and then I come across the minutes, and I think, boy, what they the way they tell me is just not quite true at all. You know?
1: Yeah, or, the, or maybe the last person to write the minutes had something to do with it, too. You never right. know.
0: Right. So now we so now we've gathered this history and we've gotten it. Now now what do we do with it? How do we apply that to the church?
1: Well, I think it's like like Jesus said in the book of Revelation when he's speaking to John about the church in Ephesus, you remember the things that Jesus did that the church was that did that they did uh when they followed Christ and and led people to Christ and discipled people. So you remember those things, you look for those things. But then you also You've got to look at the things you've done that you shouldn't. And, uh, you know, were there decisions made that shouldn't have been made? Were there um, decisions that should have made that weren't made? Uh, What sins does the church have in its past? Yeah, I mean, every time Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelation, you know, he says, you have to do this or I'll remove my lampstand, remove your lampstand. I mean, part of looking at the history is part of it. It's just it's twofold. It's what did what did God do? and we followed him in it, and we have to do more of that. And what did we not follow Jesus in? And we've got to repent of that and learn from it. And so that's what you do in your history.
0: Well, that would bring me to my next question. What do you do if you find history that's not good, either fights or, or uh, issues with race in the past or anything?
1: yeah i think I think you, you you know the church needs to repent of it now if the people weren't there, then they didn't commit those sins, and so in that right. sense it's not a you know you don't I don't repent for the sins of my grandparents in that sense but i I do think what you do is you you acknowledge that you you got to look very seriously and say is that is that cultural spiritual DNA still in our church first of all, is yeah. that corporate memory i should say it's a better way to say it yeah. is that corporate memory still in our church And if that corporate memory is still in our church, even though we didn't do anything about it, we've got to repent of that, frankly. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is you just say, you know, we want to make sure that we don't do this, make these mistakes and repeat these things. And uh, we want to learn from the past. So, yeah. But I think sometimes, even though we're not there, we weren't there, you know, our grandparents were, whatever. You know what happens in an organization. There's just sort of this corporate memory that outlives people. and this way of doing things that outlives people. And you've got to repent of that. That's what Jesus said in Revelation 1. You've got to remember how far you fall and repent and return to the things you did first. It doesn't get any clearer than that, I mean, how we use the history of our church.
0: So, so how can um, how can we use the history to kind of celebrate the past to kind of drive us into the future? If the church used to have a bus ministry and trying to get that going again how can you use that history that you find out about your church
1: yeah i don't think i don't think you want to recapture exactly what happened 20 or 30 years ago if jesus had wanted you and i to be in that church 20 or 30 years ago he would have had us be born you know god would have had us be born 20 or 30 years earlier god is sovereign in all things including time and when we are born and so uh you know my a lot of those churches you know did have big bus ministries in the 1970s. Um, our, our job isn't to try to recapture that moment in time. Our job is to recapture the passion that those men and women had in the 1970s to reach lost children in their community. So how do we recapture that? Not the exact you know mode of um, strategy of ministry, but the heart. In other words, you and I both know it wasn't the buses. That right. reach those kids. Check this out. It was every Saturday, lay people led by their pastors, would meet at the church and go door to door and visit every kid on that bus route and try to get new kids to ride. Then every Sunday morning, very early on Sunday morning, they would get there and try to get those old buses running, no matter the heat or the cold. And they would go to every door and pick up every and then every Sunday afternoon they'd take them all home. Well, you get any members who commit that much time and energy and passion to reaching people. It's gonna work. So you go back and you not trying to redo the bus ministry, but you go, how do we how do we once again have the passion for our community, the lost community that our maybe our parents or grandparents had during those bus ministry days? And also when you brought all those kids into your church, guess what? They didn't take good care of it. I mean, I, right. I, my dad pastored a church with with bus ministry and we ended up with six or seven buses and you know, two hundred kids every Sunday morning, most of them without their parents. Well, I'm telling you what, the restroom's got to work out. I mean, the children's area, those walls got to work out. All of a sudden, the taking care of the building meant something different when you were having hundreds of kids in there. You, you weren't overly protective of it. You were glad it was being used. And now, you know, so we go back, well, now we sort of worship our building. We don't let anybody in it. We don't let anybody eat in it or drink in it. We, you know, we're trying to protect it. Well, I guarantee you you're looking at people who did bus ministry back in those days, they had to make a choice, you know. You're going to use up this building for why we built it or we're going to, you know, protect it. So that's what you learn from history when you look at the history and you point back to it. You try to recapture that. Not the exact strategy, but the heart behind it.
0: A pursuit of history is about the heart, not the programs. So Absolutely. what do you, what do you, what do you do with those people who want to go back to the good old days? Who? How do how do you balance uh, celebrating that history and you know, not going back to the way it was when Pastor so and so was here?
1: Yeah. Well, remember how far you've fallen is how you begin, and so I mean, you really do. You just you 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 go. You take them to the Book of Revelation, and you say you want to see how far the Church in Ephesus had fallen. You go to Acts eighteen and nineteen, and in those two chapters, the Christians in Ephesus had started a riot. Uh, literally, because they'd shared the gospel with so many people that the culture had begun to change. Um, and then 40 years later, when Jesus speaks to the church in the book of Revelation, there's nothing resembling a riot. Um, I, I think what you have to do is help people understand, it, even though the Christians in the book of Revelation loved the scripture, loved their church, loved Jesus, suffered long, endured much he was still going to take away their lampstand because they weren't doing what they did at first. And so that's, the idea is this, this church belongs to Jesus Christ, not you. Right. And membership doesn't have its privileges. Membership has its responsibilities. And when you make the church about you and what you want, you've made the church an idol and an idol is something among other things we run to for comfort, meaning, and security. And you know something's a false idol if you're afraid of losing it. And so if you're afraid somebody's going to paint over the Baptist picture, if you're afraid somebody's going to remove the silk plants, if you're afraid somebody's going to take your Sunday school class and use it for something else and take your curtains down and take your pictures off the wall and you don't get to use your class anymore. If you're afraid somebody's going to come along and say, we don't need monthly business meetings. We maybe do it twice a year. And you feel like if if that all just terrifies you, then that's a pretty good indication that you're not really, uh, you're finding your peace and your joy and your comfort primarily in Jesus. You're finding it in this church as you know it. And Satan has maybe performed a really dangerous transaction to get you to move your affections from Jesus to your affections to the church as you understand it, with this false understanding that you can control things and manage things, and you really can't. And it's not your church, it belongs to Jesus. They never ask members what do you think we should do. Should we start a awanas? Right. Uh, should we change the music? That's the wrong question. The only question you ask, and this came from Henry Blackaby, is how have you prayed about it, and what has Jesus told you He wants you to do with His church? So the only joy is really found when people don't follow their agenda and their desires, but when they're willing to lay them down for what Jesus wants. And you know, as you go back to the the model of the bus ministry. <laughs> those people didn't show up on Saturday mornings every Saturday morning and go door to door in the winter and the summer and the fall. They didn't show up every Sunday morning early before Sunday school and church and get those buses running and pick up the kids. They didn't do that because they liked it. They wanted to do it. They did it because they loved children. Right. And and I, I think so much of what we do in our church is we do it because we like it. We want it. It's what we want. It's what we're comfortable with. Well, that's not what church is about. And that's and, – you know, great joy is not found in you being made much of, as John Piper said. Great joy is being found when you can make much of God. And, you know, so we don't want to create a culture where people feel like I'm I'm important and my opinion matters and and it's and and I've always said it's really not at all what you've done for Jesus in the last forty years. That doesn't matter in the life of this church. Let me rephrase that. (laughs) It's important to understand. People say, Well you don't know how much we've done for this church in the last forty years. That doesn't buy you two seconds out of hell, all right? I mean, you can replace the roof. You can take your 401k and give it to the church. It doesn't matter. It's not going to buy you two seconds out of hell. The only thing that keeps you out of hell and gives you heaven and God is Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter what you've done for the church in the last 40 years. What matters is what Jesus has done for you in the last 40 seconds. So to sum it up and wrap it up, (laughs) it's a gospel-centered focus that, Churches need yeah. to say this church is about Jesus and what He's done for me, what He's doing for me, and I'm willing to give this church to Jesus to do whatever He wants to do with it. A gospel-centered focus, not a self-centered focus, and that's what—that's basically it. And going back and look at the church's history helps us see those good times when the church was gospel-focused, right. like like the bus mystery, and the bad times when the church was not gospel-focused, was centered on a man or a person or or, or priorities or agendas and how those bad things happen. So that's that's why church history is important. Local church history for your revitalization.
0: Is there a danger when a pastor doesn't know history? Have you ever known a pastor who has stepped in something that he should have known was there? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, you need to know the well. First of all, there's the the old history of the church. That's good. Like I just found out about you know the people and the players who started our church and. That's, that's important. But in the recent history, you've got, yes, you need to know where the landmines are. You need to know how to navigate past problems and decisions so you don't repeat the same things. And just because there's a organized structure in your church with people elected to leadership doesn't mean those are the real leaders. Right. Sometimes the real leaders, especially in a smaller church, are, right. are not necessarily the elected people, but they may be the spouses of elected people. Or the parents of the elected people, or even the children of the elected people, um, or just some friends of them, somebody who doesn't ever become the chairman of anything, but everybody looks to him or to her whether we're going to do this or not. And if you don't understand those, we call that organizational awareness, which is another one of the characteristics of the replanter. So if you don't have organizational awareness of really what's happening in your organization, you're flying without instruments through a storm and you're going to crash.
0: So yeah. yeah. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. So that's uh, some about the history, but tell me about why you're excited about the future of the SBC.
1: Oh, I'm excited about the future of the SBC because at the end of the day, bro, we still believe the Bible from, Jesus, from Genesis to the map in the back. Yeah. And we still believe in the atonement. And we still believe that Jesus is coming again. And uh, I, there's power in that. And uh I don't I don't have faith in Southern Baptists because of who we are. I have faith in Southern Baptists because of who Jesus is and the power of the Scripture. And for all of our faults and all of our weaknesses, as we all are, um, as long as we hold to the fidelity of Scripture and as long as we hold to the truth of the gospel, uh I, I have great confidence in us. And I, I really think, you know, I don't know. I've got to be careful. I, I don't know what our numbers are going to be in the future, because we we're, we're we're not, you know. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. My great grandfather was a Southern Baptist pastor. We're not in the same country we were in 20 years ago. Yeah. it's like we've been we've been dropped into a, you know, a, almost a, in some ways almost a, a an overseas land that does, you know. So we, it, this we can't compare today to what happened in the 60s and 50s. Yeah, and even the 1970s. I mean, you just can't compare it. And so, I don't know what God has, but I know He's got a place for us. And I know, I know this. I, I do believe that when we, when we all finally uh, get, you know, when when we are in eternity, uh, we're going to see that God used all of us, every sermon we preached, every prayer we prayed, every visit we made. You know, even in our weaknesses, God God is going to use, he's used all of that for his redemptive purposes. So I'm very confident in God's kingdom coming. I don't think that's an issue. And I'm confident as long as Southern Baptists uh, remain true to the fidelity of scripture and the the uh, the gospel. Uh, okay. I think God, God will use us. I, you know, I don't know the numbers. Again, that's really, that's, I don't know that. But I think it, our job is to remain faithful through all of this and it's going to get harder yeah. to be a pastor it's going to be harder to be a church it's going to be we're going to, we're going to feel what many christians have felt most christians the vast majority of christians for about 2000 years we're we're going to know what it's like to be completely outside the culture but that's okay we can function really well there as as believers we we have in the past
0: yeah and i think history can show us that not just of our own church but church the greater church history will show us how it's it's been better in the past, and it's also been much worse. But God has always been faithful, and has yeah. been through do that.
1: Yeah. So so, um,
0: tell me a uh, tell me where we can learn some more about what you're doing or get involved. How yeah. we can pray for
1: you? Yeah. Well, just check out the rep, this website. It's Church Replanters. That's R E like Replanters, and Planters is plural, right? Churchreplanters.com. Okay. and we've got all kinds of Blogs and videos and articles and resources on there, everything you would need, and uh, you know, just continue to pray that um, as I travel across North America, speak to pastors who are in churches that are really struggling and discouraged. There's look, there's there's still a there's still a remnant, you know there's yeah. still a remnant. I, I go to these churches, people look at them and they say, oh man, these churches are about dead. In a Warner Road, there was 18 elderly people. There was a remnant. And uh, that church, in the, in ten years, we we grew from. And I'm not a big on numbers, and I don't, you know, and these numbers don't impress most people. But I know what happened there. And we grew from from 18 to 120, 130. Yeah. And that may not seem like a lot of people, but that half of that 120, 130 could walk to church if they had to. Yeah. But more important than that, the 120, 130 that are there. Represent the community, they're all ages and all backgrounds, and the gospel is clearly preached and taught every week there and throughout the week in small groups. And they've been part of establishing nine new churches and sending out about four or five men to replant dying churches. Uh, And that's because that group of elderly people just hung on, they were a remnant and they had a lot of problems. Don't get me wrong. But they they were a remnant. So I'm encouraged because even in these very dysfunctional, you know, Paul never talked about shutting Corinth down, right? I mean, he wrote him a couple of letters. and In Corinthians 2, they were worse maybe than 1 Corinthians. But he never said, well, we just need to shut this thing down. Uh, And he encourages Timothy to remain at Ephesus. You know, don't leave. Remain at Ephesus in Timothy chapter 1 so that you may teach sound doctrine. Uh, I mean, you know, there's always a remnant God has, and that's encouraging to me
0: that's good well I I know uh, I know you've had some difficulties you were supposed to do this last week but you had a wisdom tooth out and <laughs> yeah that was
1: not a good week <laughs> but, but it's better, better now man
0: well good I've right. i prayed for you and I'm thankful for your ministry I'm thankful for your focus on small and and uh, normative sized churches and pastors and the work work that they do and and, uh, and I pray God's blessing on you and your work so
1: um, all right, man. Okay, thank you. Thank it's been good so good to be with you, buddy. Thank you okay. for the work you do.
0: Oh, okay, thank you. We'll talk to you later. All right, there you have it. Another episode of the SBC History Podcast. Thanks to Mark Clifton for coming on and joining us. Make sure and check out all the work they do and uh, figure out how you can be a part of planting and replanting, revitalization, all those things. As always, check us out online, on social media, on Facebook follow us share this podcast with somebody you know who might benefit from and we'll see you next time